0: Hi folks, Patrick here. Welcome back for another episode of Bibliology. This is, of course, the podcast where I speak to Bible scholars and theologians about their recent research and its implications for communities of faith today. Today on the show, I'm excited for you all to get to hear the second of our retrospective podcast episodes of this year. This time you'll get to hear my conversation with Dr. Greg Boyd on his 2013 book, Benefit of the Doubt, published with Baker Academic. Greg is the well-known senior pastor of Woodland Hills Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, in the States, and he has a background in academic theology and biblical studies. It was really fun to spend time discussing the concept of faith, uh, what this should and and shouldn't look like, and also um, the positive and negative aspects of doubt in the life of faith. Um, We all know that it's something of an inevitability, but it's not clear um, sometimes how to navigate with doubt. So... Greg has a perspective on that, which I think is is worth hearing, so I'll let the conversation speak for itself, and if this seems like a topic that might interest you, you can check out Greg's book in the description, which is currently celebrating its 10th publication anniversary. Without further ado, let's get on to the show, and I hope you all enjoy it. Well, hello, Greg. Welcome to the show. Great to have you on today.
1: Hello, Patrick. It is... An honor to be here. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me.
0: My pleasure, Greg. So we're, of course, going to be doing a 10-year retrospective today. Just thoughts on your 2013 book, which is, of course, entitled Benefit of the Doubt, Breaking the Idol of Certainty. Certainly a interesting and provocative title and a very interesting book. And that was published with Baker. So I'm excited to get into the weeds of that book with you. But um, before we do that, I think the audience would love to get to know you a little bit personally you up for some quick fire questions sure great great stuff so on. um one of the um interesting things uh, i want to ask about is you have described yourself as a lover of speed metal and you're also a drummer um, mm-hmm. that is correct yes yes as someone who also likes uh rock and metal and all that sort of thing um and is also a musician um what is the most challenging speed metal song you've ever learned to play well okay so
1: i do love speed metal and i do love drumming but that doesn't mean i'm a speed metal drummer <laughs> uh, i i i actually have uh uh learned to um i, I play in a band but it's not a, at all a metal band it's this classic rock band so the only time i I, I I learned how to do speed metal with a fast you know a, a bass drum and stuff. Uh, I, I'm getting there. I'm still improving on it, but I only use it when I'm doing solos or in certain fills. Uh, mm. And so, um, if, if I play along with any metal song, it's just for the sheer enjoyment of it. It's not because I'm trying to challenge myself. It, it would take me. I mean, if you go to some of the really complex speed metal stuff, um, it, it, I mean, it, it would it would take such a commitment to learn that th- stuff. Mm. You know, and so. Um, I just—that's not where I put my time. The the the—they're not really speed metal. They're not even really metal. It's hard rock. But um uh, uh, Van Halen's uh "Hot for Teacher" that's probably mm. the hardest song I've ever tried to learn on drums. Uh, Interesting, it's so fast.
0: Okay, I wonder if it's as hard on drums as it is on guitar because <laughs> I'm sure you it's know what heart. Eddie Van Halen's yeah. like. Yeah,
1: but uh,
0: um, you song. Yeah, that's interesting. And so, have you learned like um, double bass as well, and all that sort of yeah, thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's the, the the fast foot pedal uh, stuff. So I, I I do double bass, and um, there's a particular technique that a lot of speed metal drummers use. And I just you know got on YouTube and decided to learn it. You know, it's like, uh, and I I didn't even know this kind of music existed ten years ago. I just kind of stumbled onto it, and yeah. uh, uh, I first just you know appreciated this listening to the drumming, and then part of me would, thought you know when i was younger if i ever saw a drummer do something that i couldn't do i would challenge myself to learn how to do it
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so I thought, what what you, you can teach old dog new tricks you know just because old doesn't mean i can't learn some new stuff so i started learning how to do it and now i just oh, i just have having a blast with it mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. now of course um that's uh music is of course a, a labor of love for for you but um your uh your main your main field is theology um but in writing anyway, um which um which um, you know, I'm sure that's a labor of love too. but um, you know, you've written widely in this, you know, over the years, both at lay and academic level. So um what subdiscipline or topic in theology do you find the most challenging and why?
1: Mm. Well, it depends on how you mean challenging if if you mean personally challenging, uh, the the answer would always be I'd say the topic of sanctification <laughs> that you know it, 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 the, the challenge is always to live out your faith and and to uh, I mean, that is always the most challenge it's, it's a, to understand it is, is the easy part applying it to your life consistently and getting your thoughts to line up with it and your life to line up with it that's the, the, the challenge so if you mean personal challenging I'd say sanctification but if you mean um, kind of what what's grabbing me right now um i've uh and and what's challenging more intellectually is um I, I would say both the doctrine of creation and and eschatology are are right now um i'm, I'm kind of working through some new stuff uh doctrine of creation mainly because I've um you I, know I, I, I without getting into my whole warfare theology and stuff about the problem of evil, whatever, but I've been really disturbed by. And, and I've known this before, but it just never bothered me the way it's bothering me now, but there have been five mass extinctions in the history of this planet. Mm-hmm. And they say that we're entering into a sixth one right now. Um, That's some good evidence for that. But how do how do you wrap that around, you know, divine providence and, and why, you know, these, these events were 75% or more of all species on the planet died. Mm-hmm. And how do you make theological sense out of that? Um, you know, it, so that, that, that that that's challenging the, the other part is 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 the eschatology and and it's just that um because we're entering a, this a lot, a lot of scientists are saying this third mass, or the sixth mass extinction um I mean species are dying off like crazy fertility rates are dropping um and and that's even you know apart from climate change although climate change contributes to it but but uh, uh to me this is the ultimate theological question it's like okay if we're if, if, you know, climate change is an existential threat to human beings, and not in the distant future. You know, we're it's we're 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 coming up on it. And and uh, how do you wrap that into you know make theological sense out of that? And, and what's happened, Patrick, is that you know when I was first a Christian, we were given this kind of apocalyptic you know worldview, and Jesus is going to return at any minute, we're going to be raptured up, and Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist, and we had it all figured out. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I burned out on that. And, uh, um, and I also learned, you know, something about the the use of apocalyptic language, and it's not meant to be taken literally and all that kind of stuff. But I, after that, I never really e- even had any interest in eschatology. You know, I, I always would joke about it. Uh, it. It will all pan out in the end. I'm a, I'm a pan-millennialist. Yeah. Um, but now, as the as we and this planet are facing this very dire situation that – I, I just started reading up on cl- the science behind climate change last year, and, and it was very, very sobering. And 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 so I, this is like to me the the, the most important theological question is, yeah, you know, how 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 is God going to wrap this up? How does this this possibility of human extinction fit into our the, the Christian story, hmm. where you know it's going to be a judgment and a purging, but there's also going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And I'm just this is a good time to start figuring that out because uh, there's indications that we're if things don't change drastically in in, in the very near future, uh, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And our track record are changing in response to these warnings has not been good. <laughs>
0: mm, yeah, not just an intellectually challenging question, but also a scary question. <laughs> that um, yeah, yeah. you know,
1: well, yeah. you, you know, what? I, I I'll just say one more word about this because like, we can yeah. do a whole podcast on this, but it, it, it I'm finding that as, as if you really look at the science to this and just how you know, how much the Arctic has already melted and how fast it's melting and what the ramifications of that are and all of this stuff and, and how you know we're closing in on these dates. It 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 forces this issue. It, either I'm going to have hope or I'm going to despair. You yeah. know, it, 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 it the choice is really clear. And I, I'm finding that that facing this existential threat has helped me to die to some idols I didn't even know I had. You know, mm. like yeah, legacy. You know, what are people going to be thinking about you in 500 years? Well, you don't worry about that when you are not even sure that you're going to be around in a couple of generations.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And so it's made the hope much more precious to me. Yeah.
0: And so is is a book in the works here, Greg? Uh,
1: I, I'm chewing on it. Mm. I, I'm chewing on it. And uh, it, 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 it has been in the works. I just am not, I don't have quite the sense of direction yet and the direction I want to go. And it's, 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 it's hard because, you know, I don't want to come across as like, you know, Repent! We're at the, at the end of the world. You know, those are the wacko people, the crazies. You know, all throughout history, people have predicted it. But see that all the predictions are always based on some weird exegesis, this verse, this number, this you know, whatever. Those kind of fancy and all yeah. those dispensational charts. I i don't. That, that doesn't. I, I don't go there at all. you know it, it's the only thing that I know for sure is that New Testament teaches that Jesus is going to come, and but however that's going to look like, and there's going to be a judgment and then there's going to be a resurrection. And that's when they'll have a new heavens and a new, new earth. No matter how much science you give to it, though, you can come off with sounding crazy. And you have to deal with the fact that you still have some people out there who deny that that there's climate change going on or that humans have anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to do about that. It's like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, sure. Well, please, please keep out that book because it might be the most important one. <laughs> You're right. You know, when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. One more question here that uh, I'd love to pursue before we get into the book is, according to your Wikipedia, um, which, you know, maybe it's not accurate. You know, maybe it maybe it is. You know, it can be <laughs> it can be a bit of a mixed bag. It says you were a classmate of the famous um, or infamous um, perhaps Bart Ehrman. Is that not correct? Yet.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, I uh, went, you know, I've, I've never read my Wikipedia, so I, I don't know what's on there. I, well, why would they even be on there? It's like, I'm famous for having gone to school with Bart. Uh, no, we, we were um, at, at Princeton Theological Seminary at the same time. And, wow. and I, I didn't know him well. I, we, we had a couple conversations. conversations. Um, we would always hang out in the, the smoking lounge of the, of the Princeton library. Cause we smoked pipes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, so we had a, a couple of conversations there and I I I this was right when he was losing his faith his his evangelical faith hmm. and uh he was just so disturbed by all the textual variations in the New Testament and I couldn't for the life of me figure out what why that bothered him so much I I just and you know he learned it from Bruce Metzger' his famous you know Greek scholar and it didn't bother Bruce Metzger either it, it, but for some reason this has got I think he had such a high standard of inerrancy that the idea that we don't know exactly what one to two percent of the new testament actually what the original text says that just blew me away how can this be god's word mm. that's mm. that.
0: yeah that's actually perhaps maybe the this book that we're talking about would have would have helped um, or maybe it maybe it will help him one day you know who knows
1: maybe, maybe <laughs> so, i i i'm not you know holding my breath on that one but
0: <laughs> sure well, um, you know, we, we, we might as well, you know, get into talking about this book because um, it's um, really really interesting. Uh, Benefit of the doubt, breaking the idol of certainty, and you know, you're you're discussing kind of uh, we don't want we don't want to get too um uh, to use too much nerdy language, but kind of epistemological questions of you know knowledge and you sure. know, um uh, just questions relating to that, and so and. Ultimately, I think one of the things you're 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 showing in this book is that doubt, you know, the process of doubt, it can be a force for good. Um, but um, was there first thing I'd love to ask is, like, was there a particular inciting incident that that made you want to write this book, you know, 10 plus years ago?
1: Um, well, it, it was more of a general growing awareness of just how most people do faith and 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 in seeing kind of the damage that that does and how it sets people up. But there was one particular event that I think was a catalyst for me thinking that I needed to say something on this. I, I went to this prayer meeting. And this is probably in the, the early 90s. Um, and and it was a prayer meeting for somebody in my congregation, but it was set up by uh, a different personal friend of his. And, and it, it, there's a lot of other Christians that were there that I didn't know. But we, we, there's probably 30 people in this house, and we're going to be praying for this one guy who had brain cancer. And um, the lady whose house where this meeting was was was, was being held, um, she gave a little talk ahead of the prayer time, and she said, basically, um, if if we all in this room agree that uh, it is God's will for uh, this guy to be healed, <laughs> then he will be healed. If if, if we just don't doubt. And in fact, I believe he's already received it, and 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 it's already done. And so, um, uh, it, she, she tries to muster us all into the certainty that this guy's going to be healed right here. And, and as, as we start praying, then um, I, I, the bizarreness of the situation just over it just it struck me. It, it's like, how could I possibly be certain this guy's going to be healed? Uh, even if I have this personal certainty, how do I know that that guy over there, or that guy over there, or that gal over there is is certain? And 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 what is the level of certainty that is, is necessary? Is it do I have to sustain it for five minutes, or 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 you know is it a permanent state of affairs? And how exactly do you make yourself certain of something that that, that you can't be certain of? <laughs> you know, uh, I I how can I be certain that this guy's going to be healed? I prayed for a lot of people who weren't healed, you know, and so and then it's I, I began to think like. <clears throat> What kind of a, I mean, twisted conception of God does this presuppose? Where it's like, here's God. You have to imagine God saying to this group of people, hey, here's the deal, guys. If you can make yourself certain, psychologically certain that I will heal him, then he will be healed. But if you are not certain, if you don't talk yourself into that, well, then he's not going to be healed. And it's like God's getting us to play this psychological game in our head. And our friend's life is at stake. It's like El Capone here; he's got a gun to his head, and was, now play this impossible psychological game. And and yeah, it's so the, the picture of God that it presupposes, I just thought was, I I just woke up to just how prevalent this something like that model of faith is. You know, there, there's a spectrum here, of course, but um, and then how much damage it it, it really does to people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have walked away from the faith because they thought that. What faith was was I have to be certain about everything
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you call this the the strength tester model of faith and um, that yeah, the faith yeah. possess. yeah how how what do you mean by that like a strength tester? Could you give like a brief definition?
1: Well, the strength tester is that, that you know if you go to carnivals or something they're called a strong man thing where you have to hit the the, the platform and send the bell see how high you can go, you know, and it's a strength tester and mm-hmm. so, in this model of faith it's it's like the more certain you can get you know the more blessed you're going to be and 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 so if uh if you're walking with maybe 50% faith well then you'll get you know god will do some nice things for you here and there but if, if you want to be healed that's going to take 70% and if you want to get rich well that's going to take 98% you know and, and so it's like the more certain you are the assumption is that you, your faith is as strong as you are certain mm-hmm. and people talk like this you know I, I, Remember this guy uh, in church I went to when I was in grad school, and 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 um, he, he used to kind of brag about how you know my faith in the you know to hold up his Bible, and he did it every Sunday night because we had testimonies every Sunday night in this Pentecostal church. But my faith in the Word of God is never wavered; uh, I, I, for not one second have I ever doubted that. And, and we said like, man, it's they, they, got such strong faith. Mm. Um, and I, I am not convinced that that is uh, what strong faith is all about.
0: Sure, sure. And, you know, a question that, you know, is like interesting to Ponder is like, how widespread is this model? Because, you know, some of the things you're saying there, it sounds like the word of faith movement, you know, where right. um, faith almost becomes like a superpower kind of or magic sort of. Um, but how widespread would you say that this is?
1: Uh, to a to a large <clears throat> to some degree, it, it's uh, uh, you know all over the place. I mean, it's and 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 people maybe won't even realize they have it until you know something calls them. They the, something calls their faith into question, and and now it's like, am I still saved? You know, I I'm not. you know, I, I, I one person says, said to me, they listened to this uh, uh, podcast, and the skeptic was you know kind of tearing apart the gospels. And, and the person was like, you know, in, in tears because she's now doubting. And, and and you know, am I still saved? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because this gospel says this, and the, the Jesus healed one person. This gospel says two persons. Oh, no! Mm-hmm. Gonna? And, and it, it usually goes with, to some degree, a, what I've called a house of cards model of faith. You know, you've seen a house of cards where it's all just, everything leans against everything else in a real precise way. But if you knock out, you know, one of the bottom cards, the whole thing comes tumbling down, and 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 so people a lot of times have, especially among conservative Christians, you know, they're taught that if you want to be saved, here's the package. You know, you got to have this view of of, of God and this view of, of of Jesus this view of the Bible, this view of baptism, or and, and every group has their own thing. But these are the things that you must believe, and and, and so uh, people go along in their life, and then all of a sudden, one of those things gets called into question. And uh, um, and what can happen is that their whole thing can can crumble down because they're no longer certain that the I have the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Folks who Mm -hmm. have this model of faith often they have a phobia of of learning, uh, learning about anything that could challenge their faith because Mm -hmm. salvation's on the line, you know. And so they if they engage with folks who have other opinions it's not to learn from them it's it's, it's only to get find ammunition to reconvince yourself um and, and so you can i've met people who've got you know phds in various areas and they're super intelligent and whatever but when you go out to get to talking about their theology they are repeating stuff they got in eighth grade yeah it's they, they, never the faith was never kind of tried by fire um because mm-hmm. they have to remain certain
0: yeah you know we've been talking about kind of the um the, the, this, this faulty understanding of what faith is so far. And, you know, we we will get on to speaking about the, the alternative um, model for understanding faith that you uh, mentioned, but, you know, someone might be wondering, you know, well, well, like if so many people have, have the wrong understanding of what faith is, does this not, you know, logically imply that they're not saved or something because, you know, we're saved by faith alone. And surely that requires having a proper understanding of what faith is or,
1: Something like well, that. Yeah. You know, I, I, Patrick, I, 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 I don't think it, if you start as I do with the assumption that God is fully revealed in, in the person of Jesus Christ and, and more specifically, revealed on the cross. Yeah. Like God is love and love is defined by the cross. Here, here's how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That then I can't imagine God, it's God who is other oriented love, uh, sending someone to hell, however you interpret hell. Uh, because they happen to get a, a misconception of something. Like some people have this idea that God is this anal theology professor, and the you know, entrance into heaven is did you check off the boxes? you know did you get enough correct answers to things? But um I, I think God see looks deeper than that uh, mm-hmm. and, and looks at the the orientation of our innermost heart. um mm-hmm. and and the, yeah the part of us that, you know, because so much of, of what a person thinks is de- dependent on their culture and who talked to them and what influences are going on there and and, and things of that sort. And so, um, I, I don't think a misconception is going to get a person to lose their faith. I mean, uh, to lo- lose their salvation or, or something like that. Mm. Uh, and the thing is, is that the folks who have this you know certainty model of faith, um, if if they're if they're acting on it. They're doing something right, you know. because faith is this w- willingness to live as though something is true. I'm going to march in this direction. I'm going to go in this direction, and they're doing that. Uh, it's it, so I want to applaud that. It's not altogether wrong, um, hmm. but it, it's it's when that the it becomes magic. Like if I just have this psychological, I you know, eureka experience of just truly, truly, truly believing then then it's going to be, going to be, yeah. be done for me. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, there's there's uh, all sorts of uh, New Age uh, versions of this as well. Um, yeah. It does not unique to Christianity. It's just magical thinking. Deepak Chopra and Lalo's guys, this is mm-hmm. all their stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: And, of course, um, you. Um, one of the quotes I have from York is, um, the difference between magic and biblical faith is that magic is about engaging in behaviors that ultimately benefit the practitioner while biblical faith is about cultivating a covenant relationship with God that is built on mutual trust. Yes. That brings us to, you know, your your model for understanding faith, which is, um, it it kind of makes covenantal commitment um, the center of its meaning. So um, I suppose, which part of scripture, which part of the Bible do you think best illustrates uh, the model you're proposing in this book?
1: Well, really, I I, I guess I'd point to Hebrews 11. Uh, as the 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 chapter of that I think best illustrates it, but the, the concept of covenant is fundamental to everything in the Bible. You know, it, it's it, God calls Abraham into a covenant, and 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 the they use of the language of you know suzerain treaties. Covenants were a common thing in the ancient Near East, and, and so the whole relationship with God is 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 is, is covenantal. Everything is understood in, in terms of the covenant. Um, but you have it, you know, I think best illustrated in Hebrews 11, where uh, these folks, the author says at the beginning, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And he uses the word hypostasis, which means like a substantial reality. So faith is a substantial reality of things hoped for or anticipated. And the conviction, the word there is elenkos, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so one way of at least applying this passage is that Uh, He's 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 describing kind of how we do faith, and faith is a vision of something you believe to be true or that you anticipate to happen, and you hold that as a substantial reality, as though it was as though it was already happening, and that creates in us a conviction that it will be so. It's like if you, you know, I think think, thinking of something positive in Kevin in, in the near future, like if you're going to go on a vacation. Uh, if you start to think about that and see it vividly and, and, and just kind of daydream, enter into it, identify with it, um, uh, that creates in you this anticipation like, oh, I can't wait to, you know, for that to happen. And that might motivate you then to, to do some things that you need to do to get ready for that. Like, I, I better start packing. And so if faith is a vision that creates a conviction, this conviction of hope that leads to action. And, and that's what all the folks in Hebrews 11 do that, but they're not certain that they're going to get what was promised them. In fact, none of them got it. Okay. So they marched in faith. They had a vision and it says in verses 13 and 14 that all of these, you know, they they saw in a distance, uh, the, 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 promises of God, the heavenly city, um, And he's not talking geographically there. He's talking, you know, spiritually there. In in their mind's eye, in their spirit, they believed the promises of God. They envisioned it, and it caused them to live differently. They lived as foreigners and strangers in this world uh, because they had a different kind of a hope. That's what faith is. It's not about – I mean, the ancient folks were not – they just weren't into their psyches the way we are. You know, we're we're in the age of psychotherapy and psycho-everything. It didn't matter how certain you were that – about how, how something was going to happen, as long as you were certain enough to commit to it. Mm-hmm. And, and so, are you willing to commit to this? Are you going to be unwavering in your commitment? Um, that's that, that's what strong faith is. But far from ruling out doubt, it presupposes it. Mm-hmm. it the reason you are, you know, having this faith is because it's not certain. Uh, you don't know. And it's it's like you know, the only covenant we have today now is even this is getting lost but it's it's marriage you know where you say I do um two people are pledging their life to one another now they don't know for sure that that this is going to be happy ever after they you know for all they know maybe the wife's gonna have a brain aneurysm tonight and she'll have a totally different personality and they'll hate her I mean who knows but you're confident enough to say I'm I, I, I'm, I'm gonna throw my hat all my eggs into this basket I'm gonna uh, live as though we are now going to no longer two, but one. And, uh, um, and that's faith. Faith is living as though this, you believe this to be true because this is what you believe to be true.
0: So, yeah, I think that's, um, the, that model of faith certainly makes a lot of, you know, a biblical sense and, um, is also, you know, psychologically robust as well. Um, you, you do say at one point in the book, you know, this is grounded in, you know, Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the foundation Kind of yeah. the, the thing that anchors it all, you know. To what extent is it Jesus Christ crucified and risen? Is is there a difference there, or um, how would you nuance that?
1: Well, if it wasn't, for, I, I, if it wasn't for the resurrection, we would never know about the crucifixion and what, what the whole thing meant. Yeah. Uh, I, I see that the the crucifixion and the resurrection is two sides of the same coin. Uh, it, it is the victory of God's self sacrificial, other oriented love, uh, and so so yeah. The the, the resurrection is. Is the is the revelation that this guy who you crucified he is in the embodiment of Yahweh and the embodiment of of, of God's love, uh, but yeah, it's the cross that reveals the character of God, hmm. other oriented
0: love that God eternally is, hmm. and the resurrection reveals uh, the the hope I suppose that we're pressing towards. That's how. We oh know. yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and and
1: that's the, the yeah the revelation of, of who God is is then the revelation of what God's will is all about. And that's the direction in which we're going. And uh, uh, so Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren, because the resurrection is promised to all of us. I, mm-hmm. I think that is Patrick the most fundamental. The the I, in, in the benefit of the doubt, I encourage folks to make that one belief to know why you believe this. You know why believe that Jesus is God incarnate? Why believe that the cross is this self-sacrificial love of God being re- revealed? And and um, make that the foundation of your faith. And I that should be i believe the only thing that that i should get life from is this is that and by that i mean i want my my identity uh, and my sense of worth my sense of well-being my sense of having you know being content and having a purpose um to be anchored in what god thinks about me as revealed on the cross because um, only if i'm getting that innermost need to feel worth and significance and value by my relationship with God, based on the revelation of God in in Jesus Christ, only if that's happening can I be free not to get my life from being right about all my other beliefs. Mm-hmm. You follow me in this? So if, if, if this is really idolatry, is if I if I'm not getting my core needs met out of my relationship with God through through Jesus Christ, well then I will I will get that need met by being right. I'm the you know I'm part of the right group. Um, my worth is now going to be wrapped up in my, my belonging to the right group and having the right bunch of beliefs. And this is religious idolatry. And this is what causes all the conflict in the world. Cause my right beliefs conflict with your supposedly right beliefs. And it goes on from there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so where does, where does doubt fit into this, this model? Like what's, um, what, for example, um, where, where do we see like in, in the scriptures, like a positive depiction of doubt, would you say?
1: Well, you know, the doubt comes when you see this expressed throughout the, the, the whole canon when, I mean, Israel's called Israel. Jacob was renamed Israel because he wrestles with God. You know, the, the very f- nature of, of faith in the ancient Israelites is you're wrestling with God. And they have a relationship with God where you know, they ask, like, what's going on, God? You, you said that you're, we're your special people, but you're treating us worse than you treat the pagans here, and you're not coming through on your promises. And sometimes they you know accuse God of some nasty things. And you know, given the progress of revelation, they didn't have the full you know truth about who God was. But um, but they 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 there is this incredible uh uh boldness that they have uh, with God, a freedom. Um they're secure enough in the relationship to speak what is true. I guess that's how in fact we mentioned the book of Job earlier, and I think the book of Job models this more perfectly than any other book in the Bible, where the, you know, in, in the beginning, there's this test, uh, and Satan accuses God of being this Machiavellian control freak ruler. And the only reason people worship you is because you have these benefits there. But if you take away the benefits, well, then then they're not going to worship you. And so he's he's really accusing God of being this control freak. Uh, and 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 what what so what what the book of Job about is it's asking the God's on trial, and the question is is God a Machiavellian deity? <clears throat> Will anyone worship God for free? Or do we have to have these benefits? So, you know, the story, you know, Job loses everything. And as that story goes on, at first, Job sounds really pious. So, oh, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, but as the as story goes on, he keeps on giving that refrain. Yeah, God's giving, God's taking. But he, he gets angry at it. He says, God, you are, he says, you're unjust. You don't listen to the prayers of the people who are hurting. Uh, you know, you blind judges so they don't judge well. And he accuses God of all this nasty stuff. Yeah. So then when God shows up and, he, and gives his monologue, you know, he puts Job in his place and basically says, Job, you don't know squat about anything. You know, it, it, let's start by making it simple. Do you know where rain comes from? You know, how, how, dew. what happens to the dew? You know, and he just kind of exposes, you know, Job's ignorance. But then he says to um to, to Job, and Job repents in dust and ashes. It says in, in chapter forty-two, sackcloth so and ashes. He, he repents because uh, he said, I, "I uttered what I did not know, what I did not understand." But then God says, "I am angry with your friends because they did not speak about me what is true, the way my servant Job did." Now it, the word "true" there is the word "is kun" in Hebrew. And, and it means to align with. And it can mean to align with the way things actually are. You, you speak truth. But that can't be what it means here, because Job, in the previous verse, repented of everything he said. So, the only other way it can apply is it aligned with his heart. Job spoke straight. Job's friends spoke out of their insecurity. They had a self-serving theology. They wanted the assurance that what happened to Job wouldn't happen to them. And so, they came up with this thing of, if we only just believe good enough, and if we're holy enough, well, then... What happened to Job won't happen to us, but that means you got to indict Job. You know he must be some kind of a sinner, but God says no. Job was speaking from his gut, and I just am blown away. This is what passes the test. This proves that God's not a control freak deity because Job stayed honest with God even though he was madder than a hornet and and, in despair and 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 all the rest. And so, yeah, that's I think the essence of faith. It's uh, doubts all over the place, but your core heart is staying in there.
0: Yeah yeah i think that's that's a helpful illustration of um yeah yeah how the bible used out. and um you know maybe what we can do now is you know um there are a lot of like parts of this book where you look at various passages and kind of uh, apply the certainty seeking model to them and also you know this model that you propose and i think um it would be interesting to look at a couple of those kind of proof texts that are sometimes used oh, yeah, yeah. um by by the other side um now you know, one that you um, you I don't think you really address this in the book. I might be wrong. Um, is is the passage the, the healing of the centurion? You know, because mm-hmm. I think I think that's one of the one of the um interesting proof texts that's used. Uh, I think you might mention it a little bit in the book. I actually have the um the the, the passage itself, so I might as well just uh, read this out and just right. see how how you um how you understand it. So this is of course from Matthew eight, and it's uh, five to thirteen. And this is, uh, sorry, I'm reading from the NIV, you know, the nearly inspired version, as they call it. but uh, <laughs> Not actually, uh, but uh, it's a good translation. But um, it says, yeah, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the jury, and this is kind of the, the crucial, but go let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. And so I suppose the, the people who um, take the uh, certainly seeking faith would say, well, look, this guy just was, was certain that it would happen. And that's why Jesus uh, healed the healed the servant." Yeah. So, um, how how do you, how do you approach a passage like this with your covenantal understanding of sure? So the
1: the, the covenantal the, the difference is that like in the psychological model you're looking at what's going on in your head, and the covenantal model you're looking at what's going on between two people. I mm-hmm. because uh, his covenant's always relational, mm-hmm. and so this man here he, his 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 confidence in Jesus was it, what was impressive, what was expression of, of, of faith is this centurion who is you know enemy number one for Jews, okay he's he's part of the, the Roman army that's occupying this land and he's a leader of of uh, you know two thousand uh, soldiers. so he's a leader in this 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 uh, military. The storys remarkable in a lot of ways. But it comes to Jesus and then he says, I'm not worthy to receive you' see this is he's got the he, I don't know how he got it but somehow this guy sees that you know there's an anointing on Jesus and even though he's in this high position he's uh willing to humble himself and have this you know in, in confidence in, in in Christ but it's directed towards Christ I have confidence in you in your character it's not like I'm certain my daughter's going to be healed but I have confidence in your character and he's he's all humbling, humbling himself and submitting himself to him So to make it just about how psychologically certain he was, I think is a really truncated uh, interpretation of it. You got to look at the whole thing. It's the relationship, covenantal relationship that he had with him. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I I, I get that. And, you know, it it, like literally, it can't be the the certainty seeking model just because of something like the garden of Gethsemane, you know, where it's on, on that model, you know, is he trying to make himself psychologically certain that he won't have to go on the cross? Oh, too bad, didn't work out, you know, Jesus exactly. passed yeah. the fail test, passed the faith test, you know, so, another uh, a passage, you know, that is frequently frequently brought up, you can't really have a book with the title Benefit benefit of the Doubt without discussing uh, this passage, is James 1, James chapter 1, verses, uh, what is it, five, is it 5 to 6, I think, or some, yeah, 5, 6, uh, 7, 8, yeah, sure. 5 to 8, and um, you know, this is kind of the um, proof text of all proof texts for this for this position. Okay, so, here so, it is. Um, so it's, uh, this is what it says. Um, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the lord such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do on face value it seems to be saying the opposite but uh yeah. you of course you spend a lot of time on this in, in the book so i think it would be it would be good to you know good to hear what, what you think of of a passage yeah. like this yeah just, I, just I,
1: review what I wrote it's been 10 years you know I, 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 i'm trying to like what did i say about that back in the book but uh <laughs> I, I i think I, I i would have said you know so, something along these lines um It's significant that James specifically notes he's talking about wisdom. Uh, If any of you lacks wisdom, okay, this whole passage is about this. Then ask God, who gives this liberally. That's one of the promises of God. He'll he'll give you this this wisdom. Uh, And this is a theme in James. If you look at chapter 3, he's contrasting the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. And the wisdom from below, this earthly wisdom, is diabolical wisdom, it is what leads one to, to be uh, fickle in all their ways and and unstable and all the rest. The wisdom of God always anchors us and it makes us stable. So yes, when it comes to w- wisdom, when it comes to trusting the character of God, do do faith like it says in Hebrews eleven. Envision, you know, this as as though it was true, which creates this letting cross that it will be so, and then that opens you up to receive the, the promise of God. So it, it's 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 uh, not focused on. Getting the person to say i do believe i do believe i do believe but it's getting a person to trust in the character of the one who's given this promise you know, like jesus when he says you know look at if 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 you wouldn't give if your child asks for bread you're not gonna give him a scorpion you know and so also trust trust the character of your heavenly father um that, that that's the that's the essence of a of the covenant trusting the character of god mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even when it's ambiguous
0: sure now um this, uh, model you're proposing is, is helpful. And, um, you know, um, we've, we've noted how, how doubt can, can also play a part in this as well. But I suppose, you know, um, just thinking about, um, some of these things in conclusion, is there such a thing as, as unhealthy doubt? What, what would that look like in your, in your view? Like, is there such a thing? Um,
1: yeah, I, I, I think there is, it's like this, it's, um, Doubt should always be serving a purpose. And the purpose is to you know get you to a conclusion. You know, you're looking for truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, but if doubt becomes this sort of chronic doubt, uh, and I know people who just get addicted to to doubt. It's like, you know, it's always possible to doubt everything. Um, but at, at some point, you know, you gotta here's the thing, we live in this world, and you, we all have to act as though something was true. And, um, we all have faith. That's not just a a religious thing. You know, we have, we we all live with a particular vision of the future and expectation that creates in us a certain conviction and we move in that direction. Um, and, and, and so, so it's good to, to, for folks that like doubt the gospels, check that out, look into it. But there's a point where you say, okay, do I, am I confident enough to commit to this? Um, what is the best way for me to live? And so, I have I've written books on this. You know, I think the evidence for Jesus Christ being uh, the Son of God, the revelation of, of God, on a strictly historical basis, I think that is well established. And I have other reasons for believing that this is actually true. Am I certain? No, but I'm more confident that this is true—that God, the Creator of the universe, is revealed in in Jesus Christ and the rest of the gospel story. I'm more confident that that is true than any other possible paradigm i could have out there and so i'm going to start living as though this is true i'm going to start thinking as though this is true and praying as though this is true because i believe this is true and that's that's that whole thing about getting our mind and our lives to to, tell line line up with stuff um if i come upon an argument against it i consider it i i i I don't worry i'm confident enough that i'll find answers to this stuff but um it also then frees me up to doubt about. I don't need to be right. If, if, in fact, if I'm certain that, if, if I'm confident enough that Jesus Christ reveals the truth about God and the truth about me and the truth about everybody else and the truth about the future of creation, if if I'm right about that, I could be wrong on every other thing I believe, and it wouldn't bother me the least. Mm. All my eggs are in this basket, and so it frees me then to be able to, you know to have conversations with people where I can genuinely try to see things from their perspective. And that involves doubt. If I'm talking to a skeptic and, and they're, they're like laying out the case for this or that, or the other thing, I'm able to enter into their perspective and instead of being a defensive butthead all the time, you know, it's like okay, I can see why you, that would, you know, I'll try that on. Um hmm. And if, you know, if I end up being convinced that something else is true, well then so be it. I I, I don't want to, I want to be believing what's true, and and so if there's a great argument out there that 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 refutes Christianity, well, I want to know about it.
0: But it doesn't exist.
1: <laughs> I I I I haven't found it yet, and I'm confident that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think.
0: Yeah. yeah so there's um... times,
1: you know there's times where I feel psychological certainty. I I, I feel it, but. It, it, it's so it's, it's hard for me to actually doubt. Like sometimes God seems so real to me that I I I, I have trouble doubting it. But um, that comes and goes, you know. It, yeah. our, our 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 psyche is a fickle thing. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. So, so doubt should always have a a, a direction to it, um, uh, a purpose for it. It can be simply a habit that a person develops because it means they never have to get around to actually committing to anything or doing anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's when it's really unhealthy.
0: Yeah. Would you say like, um, um, I know there's a bit of debate about this is, is doubting Thomas um, a, um, is he an example of unhealthy doubt or is he an example of healthy doubt? Would you say?
1: That's oh, a really good question. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I would have, I, you know, the way the story p- portrays it, it seems like it's unhealthy uh, because he almost gets, you know, reprimanded. Blessed are you for you've seen and believed, but blessed are those who don't see and yet still believe. So he, he's kind of saying, he, he, at least he had a, he's kind of putting him down on, on a level. But then no, that's a good question. Hmm. It, it seems to me, you know, a, a very reasonable doubt, though. Yeah. He, you know, these people are telling you, hey, we saw Jesus, whatever. I, I, that's where I would be. It's like, oh yeah, right. He rose my dead. Uh, if I, if I put my fingers there, then, then I'll bleed. Um, Yeah, I get it. So it, it strikes me as unhealthy, to, as healthy doubt, even though I'm not sure that's how that's portrayed in the story. How's that? Just being honest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh it is a tough one. And I've heard differing positions on that. You know, I, I sometimes wonder if doubting Thomas is a fair name for him, you know, because feels, feels, feels kind of, uh, Harsh, yeah. you know to, to call it him is.
1: that like, like, he spent his whole life doubting no this is one event it's terrible to be defined by one event in your life and maybe yeah. it was just a bad day but for, for the rest of history he's almost doubting thomas
0: yeah yeah and um you know we're coming towards the end of our time here but um i'm curious to know and confusing you know it just uh just to quote um you on the book and you of course um we, we, we've been saying this all right now but i think this is a good summation that the faith that God's people are called to embrace is one that encourages people to wrestle with God, to not be afraid of questions and to act faithfully in the face of uncertainty. So, I mean, as a pastor, um, you know, I'm thinking, what's an example of this that you would, that you would, you know, uphold um, to, as a, as a great illustration of that. Yeah. So
1: like, so yeah. my executive pastor is, uh, uh, she's just a woman of faith that, that uh, is, um, I don't know, just a blessing to be around. Um, she's been used in a prophetic way where she gets this faith, which is a vision of things hopeful. Here, Here's, you know, I believe this is going to happen. But then, and that creates this conviction that it will be so. And um, um and, and so we start moving in this direction. Here's an example of it, okay? So we were, at one point, uh, when we first started Woodland Hills Church 30 years ago, you know, we were hopping from school to school and whatever, but we we're looking for a building to eventually move into. And at one point, my Janice had this picture, this vision of a, of an arrow going into like a target, but it wasn't going into it, you know, uh, vertically, it was laying on a target. And, and, and the word that she had was, uh, pay close attention to where this, this arrow is pointing. Okay. So, and this happens in a prayer meeting. She gets this picture and, and we were in the process of looking for a building at this time. Hmm. Well, the next day there is this, this, uh, 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 map. Somebody, to this day, we don't know who left it here, but it's a map of, of St. Paul, and and there were concentric rings going out from the capital uh, by the quarter mile. And um, uh, she looks at this; it was laying on the table, and she goes, "That's the rings that I saw that I described this target." And she points to where the arrow was hitting, because you had to pay attention to the arrow, and it happened to be the building that we now have in, in our, in our, in our, 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 our for, for our church. So, so um, we it, the thing is, we had looked at this building a couple of years earlier, and it was like they wanted $7 million for it. And we were a young congregation. I, I had a friend who did a demographic thing on us and said that we could maybe raise $300,000, uh, 400000 max, you know, given our demographics. So we have $400,000, and we need $7 million. But to make a long story short, okay. We just kept on marching in this direction. Now we weren't sure that this is going to happen. It's not. It doesn't mean it's a done deal. We needed to have a you know uh, four of the five city council vote to take this uh, off of the, to, to zone for for a church, and 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 one of the guys was already told us he, that he was going to vote against us. I mean, it could have gone a lot of different ways, and they got free will. Uh, they could have you know scored the whole thing, but we just kept on marching in this direction, and we kept on praying in this direction. We weren't certain. But as we got there, we, the, we, the confidence kept on growing in us. And uh, and by and, and I mean, it was a miracle how this happened. I mean, we had a guy give half a million dollars didn't even go to our church. His daughters mm-hmm. came home and said, Dad, you're supposed to give Willow Hills half a million dollars. And he said, okay. Uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, that's in a healthy faith. You get something and you're moving in this direction. You don't know for sure that, that this is going to happen. Uh, and don't feel bad that you're honest with that. Okay, it, it, magical thinking is never helpful. But mm-hmm. what matters is that you're you're confident enough to keep on moving in that direction. That is the nature of biblical faith.
0: Amen. Amen to that. Because
1: well, about why this is important. Because yeah. I, I have met a lot of a lot of unbelievers who um, they they don't they don't align themselves with the Christian faith because they still have doubts. They're just not sure. You know, they, they, they just aren't convinced. And and so they're, they're thinking that to, to, to become a disciple of Jesus means you have to become certain of this. And it's like, I share with them, no, it doesn't mean that you're certain. It, it just means you're willing to walk in a certain way. And, and maybe as you walk in this way, the confidence will grow in you, you know. And, and be honest with your doubts. We'll talk about those doubts. But talk about them as you're on the way, you know. That, that's, and that's the difference. Are you doubting as a prelude to getting into the faith, or are you in the faith and now you're going to express your doubts from the inside? And that's, it's, it's, that's a healthy way of doing it. In our postmodern world, you know, there's plenty of people who don't believe in any kind of truth, let alone that it's possibly at least certain about truth. The idea that you can be certain is sounding to some degree silly and even revolting to a lot of folks. Like it's arrogant. Um, and so, trying to sell uh, certainty is not—it's a harder sell. When you, we can humbly sell, here's what I think, and here's why I think it. I'm not certain, but you, you got to live one way or another. And here's the best way to live. That's, I think, the the kind of humble evangelism that will be uh, persuasive to people uh, in our age.
0: So, so what you're saying, Greg, is this is a work of postmodern theology? This this book.
1: <laughs> well, it wasn't intended to be, but I think it, it actually maybe turned out.
0: Sure. Well, it's. Um it's been amazing to to get to speak to you about this greg and uh, just to to hear all these um illustrations and all and all these um wise thoughts that you have so i i do greatly greatly appreciate you coming on today
1: well thank you very much and it's uh, been, been a lot of fun been a pl- pleasure being here